Oh, would you like a drink of water before we start? I have it. Oh, you have it. Oh, it was behind the box. Yeah, I didn't clean it. <laughs> okay. Um, so we've been talking about this bracha in Shmona Esrei of slicha, forgiveness. Slicha and mechila, asking Hashem for forgiveness. And, whoop. <laughs> flew out. Okay. And I wanted to talk today about what seemed to me a very interesting approach to slicha based on Rav Hirsch. Um, last, last week we ended by speaking about salachti kidvarecha. Hashem says, I forgive in accordance with your words. And that there was a second message there, which is that it, it does depend on us asking and how we ask that Hashem forgives us in corresponding to that. Okay, so we had had an earlier question where about the order of tshuva, where we had the bracha asking Hashem to help us do teshuva, and then another bracha where we say vidui and actually kind of do the tshuva and ask Hashem to forgive us. I mentioned that... I had the wrong, I was oh, uh-huh. doing two on the, and it's because I was holding the uh, the glasses that I have to see in this hand. And oh, that makes a lot of sense. So I put it down. <laughs> <laughs> and did that help? That yes, makes sense. Yes. Oh, good. Okay, so um, there's a, this Rav Hirsch in his commentary on Tehillim. Good morning. So Rav Hirsha in his commentary to Tehillim Kuf Gimel. Now, how did we end up in Tehillim Kuf Gimel? Is because the pasuk there says, "Hasoleach lechol avonaichi, Hashem who forgives all of your sins." Rav Hirsch translates it as crookedness. Harofe lechol tachalu aichi, and who heals all of your sickness. He redeems from the depths your life. And he crowns you with chesed and rachamim. Now there's those two verses there. So here you have that Hashem forgives all of your sins and heals all of your illness. So when it says that he forgives all of your sins, that led to this interesting definition that Rav Hirsch gives on this word slicha, soleach. He says like this. The first thought that comes to David's mind in this parak of Tehillim where he's talking about how he realizes that his relationship with Hashem is the most important thing in his life. The first thought that comes to his mind is what an abundance of divine favors is represented even by a single moment of his survival. Without the direct intervention of the wondrous might of God's mercy, the soul might long ago have forfeited its right to life on earth or even its own existence just through sin. And maybe we, that would happen early on before we're really even mature enough to fix things. So the fact that Hashem is patient with us and gives us time to learn and grow and develop and change with every crookedness of which it may be guilty, with each of the deviations from the straight and true path of destiny, the soul's progress is inhibited and placed in jeopardy. It is only Hashem's mercy which trains and disciplines all his creatures that permits the soul to resume its growth. 
Okay, so the picture that he's painting here is that we are all born with some kind of purpose and path. And we want to progress along this path, and that's our development in life. The problem is that we take steps in the wrong direction. So if we turn the wrong way, and then we keep on walking in that direction, the path has got, gets more and more crooked the farther you go. And you get off of your path of progress, which at the worst case makes it not worth you being there at all, because you're not getting where you need to go. And in the best case, just means you're wandering off into darkness land, like you're not going where you need getting to worse. head. Right, getting worse and worse, and, and, and not getting where you need to get to. But Hashem, with his rachamim, nudges us back onto the path. So this, and, and in doing so, he puts us back toward the direction of our purpose. If we think of it, when people say someone's on the derech or off the derech, like, I don't know what that means to most people, but to Rav Hirsch, it seems that that would mean the path, the derech, the path of progress, where progress is the constant moving towards the perfect fulfillment of your destiny and your, your potential. So this, this is the biggest chesed of all, is helping to, to like give us, I don't know if you've been bowling in the last 15 years or something, <laughs> but if you have, so there's something new. When I was a kid, you went bowling, and a lot of the balls went into the gutter because I was just a kid anyway, and I didn't really know how to bowl. Nowadays, your ball can't go into the gutter. It, I mean, it can if you play regular grown-up bowling. Right. But you tell them when you rent the lane and they put bumpers in. They have these things that pop up in the gutters. <laughs> and then a kid rolls the bowling ball and the ball goes into the gutter, but it doesn't fall in the gutter. It bounces back it's much more into the lane. It's kids because otherwise... They would just have heavy, no points. They have no, right. Right. It's too frustrating. It. Right. So yeah. they have these bumpers in the gutters that bounce the balls back. Oh, yeah. So you can get a kid who shoots straight into the gutter and gets a strike because the ball bounces, ricochets back That's and forth right. across the lanes until it gets to them. And they for sure hit something because it won't go in the gutter. So they're going to hit something. <laughs> right. So you know what we're talking about. Right, okay. So if that's our goal, if our goal is, is to hit the pins at the end, okay, so the farther that we veer off of the path of the lane, I mean, we're going to be like out the front door. We're not ever going to hit those bumpers. Hashem gives us bumpers. So the thing is that when you hit a bumper, it hurts. When you bump into a bumper, it bumps, it hurts. Okay. But it pushes us back. It redirects us back toward our progress that we need to make. That is a big chesed. So this, I'm not sure, I'm not sure we spoke about it here. I just uploaded a shear from the Tuesday class. We did talk about it a little bit here. That um, when Yaakov told his sons, when they said, we got to go back to Mitzrayim and we have to bring Benjamin with us. And Yaakov was not happy about them taking Binyamin back. And finally he said, okay, if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. 
And kel shakai itin lochem rachamim. May Hashem kel shakai, which is the name of, of power and limitation, give you rachamim. So we talked about why would rachamim come out from what sounds like givura, power. I mean, we would think that there's a midah of chesed, and then there's a midah of givura, and then there's a midah of rachamim. Those are the first three of the sphira midos, right? We tend to think of rachamim as somehow like the influence of chesed right. <laughs> sweetening up right, the, the din. But in fact, chesed is the source of all of it, including gevura. Gevura is actually an earlier, more primal function of chesed. The rachamim tempers and softens the gevura. But both of them are coming out from chesed. So this is an example of that, where Hashem, in bumping us back toward where we need to be, (laughs) that is a big chesed. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, it's a sort of a ridiculous example, but it's not a bad one, because it gives us the directionality too, right? It's a chesed. It's a bigger chesed than just saying, never mind. Because if God would say, oh, never mind, which he does not do, Gemara tells us Hashem does not mevater, he doesn't just give in and say, oh, no problem. Why? Because then we'd be down in the gutter. Okay? So the Pasuk says, mishachas He redeems from the, from the depths your soul because in real life, the gutters aren't three inches deep. <laughs> in real life, the gutters are much deeper. So that is the, the biggest chesed is when Hashem's givura says, no, you can't keep going this way. And he sends us signals that tell us things have to change. Maybe... Maybe it's a little uncomfortable or painful or not feeling well or we're concerned about something. There could be all kinds of difficulties and challenges in life, but they're the biggest chesed because they guide us back into the direction we need to be going. Even just thinking about them guides you back to thinking. Even about just them. thinking about you guys, you know, right? Right. That's like a pasuk in Mishle, right? Doing the right thing in my life. I want to yeah, do it. So that's like house. in Mishle, right? Yeah. It's better to go to a house of mourning than a house of oh, rejoicing right. because right. When, you go to a, right. when you go to a shiva, yeah. then it's you have... Reality. Right. Actually, speaking of shiva, what? that reminds what? me that I wanted to dedicate this year. I had a note to myself, but I didn't... To? to um, in the merit, it should be an Ilui Neshama for Abby's grandfather just passed away oh, this week. Actually, the Leviah really? is today. Oh, so, yeah, so, so should be a, an Elohim Neshama for him. So, I'm sorry, it was Baruch Dayanemes. Yeah. Okay, so one, one good thing that comes out from these difficult situations is it reminds us what our path is in life. Judy's father. Yeah, yeah, a little bit sudden. Okay, so coming back to Rav Hirsch. It is only God's mercy which trains and disciplines all his creatures, right? Which is, that means that rachamim is a function of, it comes out from din. Mm-hmm. Hashem guiding and tra- training and disciplining is not the sweet stuff. It's just that really it is. We just don't realize it at the time because it's uncomfortable. It bumps, right? But that is Hashem's mercy. That permits the soul to resume its growth to keep making this progress. Well, I have a question. When we yeah. do tshuva, are we appealing to rachamim? Are we appealing, I mean, like, are it's we... It's a good question. I mean, what are we asking for, you know? 
It's a good or question. I think, yeah. Well, I don't. What we're asking for is forgiveness. Right, but doesn't that? Come so from this the, is what he's I getting mean, to. So many times um, in haircut. It's a big chesed that Hashem. Right, but asking for rachamim is not the same as doing tshuva. Okay, that's what I was. Right, because doing tshuva is changing yourself. Okay. Okay. Asking for rachamim is asking Hashem to change what He's doing for us. Oh. <coughs> oh. Okay. This permission to progress and to continue existing, that makes the existence worthwhile because you're getting towards your goal, is called slicha. This is where I thought, this was a very big chiddush. He says the word lisloach, to forgive, which is what we're talking about over here. Salach lanu avinu kichatanu. Forgive us, Hashem, because we have sinned. He said this word to forgive actually means to progress. It's related to tzalach, which is progress that overcomes challenges, and shalach, right? To, to send out, like, somebody to right. do a mission. Right, 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 right. Okay? So any de- this, to me, was like an astonishing insight into what slicha means. Mm-hmm. Slicha is forgiveness, mm-hmm. but what it is is it's saying, okay... I let you keep going forward. Hashem says, I, if Hashem says, Salachti kidvarecha, mm-hmm. I forgive you, what it means is, I've, I've opened the door for you to keep moving forward. Your life is not forfeit. Your life is not wasted. So slicha then does come after tshuva, like it does over here in these brachos. Mm-hmm. Because... It would be meaningless to say, I give you permission to keep moving forward if you're still moving sideways. <laughs> that it wouldn't mean anything, right? So slicha, forgiveness, is when we come and we ask for it. We say, please forgive us because we realize we've been doing what's wrong. Ki chatanu, we have sinned. And now we're going to try and get back on track. There has to be a correction. Then Hashem says, okay, I'll let you do that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's real forgiveness. Forgiveness is, okay, you can keep going then. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't we so, say that a lot on Yom Kippur? Yes, we do. <laughs> Quite a lot on Yom Kippur. Okay, so this whole concept of this, of this going forward, I, I think is, is amazing. Okay, so now I want to come back to Rav Hirsch's commentary on the sitter. So he says, when we ask for tshuva, because we have first the request for help with tshuva, and then the request for the slicha, this really explains it, why the tshuva has to come first. He says, no one is immune to sin or error. Therefore, it is incumbent upon us to stop repeatedly each day, because we don't want to say three times a day at least, to examine carefully all what we have said or done. And if we should find that we have strayed from the right path by transgressing God's law, or that through omission or neglect we have failed to progress in perfecting ourselves for the fulfillment of our duty to God, I just understand it much better now that I read the other part, then we must seek out again the path of the law and return to it and resume our progress on the road leading to ever more faithful service. Therefore, we seek Hashem's aid for both our return to God and our progress toward him. Slicha is personal forgiveness granted so that the transgression that was committed may not permanently blight the relationship of the transgressor to the one against whom he has sinned. 
Because a person otherwise could say, I'm really sorry, I'm going to do it differently. And Hashem says, that's great, you do that. But I'm still, I'm not interested anymore for myself, right? And we, that would, you know, that would be fair. But Hashem is much more than fair with us. And he says, okay, you're coming back, great. Slicha, now you have, you can progress towards me. Because that's really our goal. Is it everyone that Hashem is fair with? It's more than fair. No, but I mean, is it everyone who is allowed that nudge towards the future? I mean, what about a person who is, you know, completely... So I don't know, I don't know where the line gets drawn. As far as we know, there is always the possibility for tshuva for every person. Every person, God does not slam the gates of tshuva shut, but a person may have to work very, very, very hard to get to them. There is, um... There is a concept, I'm not sure who it's referring to, in Tehillim. You have Tzadika Tamar Yifrach. Let me just see. Ke'erez Balvano. No, it's earlier than that, though, in the Perak. It's that Perak. You have Bifroach Rishaim Kamo Esev. I just want to find it inside. Bifroach Rishaim Kamo Esev is. When you see that the wicked people are blooming like grass, which, you know, in California, you might think that it's not very blooming, but really, normally that would be like weeds, you know, like it just like ground cover. It just spreads and spreads. So it looks like they're really thriving. Oh. Sometimes you look at, at, the, at the people who are wicked and it seems like they seem to be doing very well. Oh. And that doesn't seem fair. Yatsitsu Kopole Oven... I just want to find it here. Here. It's in Mizmor Shirley Omashabas. When you see that the wicked people are blooming like grass, the Yatsitsu Kopole Aven and all the people who do very wicked deeds are sprouting, you know, apparently in a healthy way. This is in order to destroy them more completely. So sometimes a person then doesn't get bumpered back. Hashem lets them okay. continue blooming their merry way. That's so that when you grab them and pull them out, the roots come out too. Right? If you take a little sprout and you pull it, you just get the sprout, but the roots are still there and it keeps coming back. So there is such a concept that Hashem might not push someone back on the right path mm-hmm. because they're so wicked. And part of their punishment might be that they appear to thrive. They seem to have it good because Hashem isn't pushing them where they need to go. He's not making them feel the pain. And then they kind of get more established in the wrong path and now they get uprooted. But why? So, like I said, as far as I know, there's always the opening for tshuva to people. That's the way the world was created and Hashem gives that to us as an offer. But there are people who he allows to make that choice. It's, it seems like it's only after a certain point. I mean, you think of Paro this time of year, or in Parsha Zwa'era, right? Where Paro continues, he takes step after step after step of wickedness and turning his back on God. He knows about Hashem. And he says, I don't know who is this person, like who is this God, who's, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and then he keeps making things worse and worse and worse. And at some point... Right? He has things happening to him to push him back on the right path. And then at some point, God hardens his heart so that even the things that are happening to him are not pushing him back on the right path. 
that's part of the punishment. That's not, right? That's part of the punishment. Could he have overcome it? Yes. Apparently, yes. Uh, there's different ways you could understand it. But if you understand that he was later the king of Nineveh, then he did. <laughs> then he did. I'm saying at some point he I did. Know, I mean, but part of the punishment sooner. may be at some point that a person doesn't feel that they're getting pushed off into the right direction. We have to realize that that's a big kindness that Hashem does for us. Okay. So there can be hope for this slicha, this forgiveness or permission to progress. Is that permission granted, sir? You know, like, or mechila, pardon, only after the person who transgressed has done his tshuva. Park in this driveway, but I have to leave right at two. Yeah, okay, it should be okay. Yeah. Okay, so the, the slicha and mechila only can happen after the transgressor has demonstrated his tshuva. Because that's like, like we said, like it doesn't make, there's, it's meaningless to say, please permit me to keep on trying to do the right thing if the path you're on is doing the wrong thing. That doesn't make sense. So first he has to demonstrate that he has made amends as far as possible and has solemnly resolved to be more attentive to his duty in the future. Therefore, the prayer for Slicha follows our plea for divine aid in Shuva. That's what Rav Hirsch says. Now we have this idea, we talked about this earlier in the year, closer to Yom Kippur time, when we talked about the importance of turning in the right direction for tshuva, that no, you may not get to the perfection, right? It's, it's the aiming in the perfect direction that, is de- that demonstrates the real tshuva. And that becomes clearer here when you think of this life as a process and a path, then that makes sense <laughs> that you're turning in the right direction is the, is the tshuva, not the getting to the end of it, because getting to the end of it doesn't happen in your lifetime. You just keep moving closer and closer in that direction. Okay. So here's an example of this. And this constant um, tweaking. So this is from, um, this is from the, the Art Scroll book on Shmona Esrei. They quote the tour who says that in this bracha and the preceding one, Hashem is called our Father. We say, Hashivenu avinu secha. Hashem, please help us return to your Torah. And slachlanu avinu kichatanu, forgive us our Father, because we've sinned. Because as we plead for mercy, we remind Hashem that He's our Father. We're reminding ourselves, but we're also reminding Him. We're invoking that. And a Father's compassion is unsurpassed. And his mercy is not restricted to those who fear him, because tov Hashem lakol, Hashem is good to all. The has rachamim on all of his creatures. However, Hashem has rachamim on all his creatures, but he may not show it to someone who is defying him intentionally, because if he would show them continued success, it will only make them rooted further in their evil ways. That's sort of what I was talking about, where you could have, it's not a kindness to say, look, I'm not going to deal with this. You just keep going. Mm-hmm. That's like letting the weeds take root. Mm-hmm. That's not kind, that's not rachamim. So when Hashem wants to show rachamim to his creatures, if they are defying him actively, he may not make it visible to them how kind he's being. It may be a painful kind of kindness, tough love, 
right? Because otherwise, they're going to be on the road to ruin. So we say, Hashem, you are Avinu, our father, which tells him and tells us that we understand that whatever he's doing is really chesed and rachamim for us, and that we have respect for him as our father. And we want to be close to him as our father, which itself is a bringing us closer to him and orienting ourselves in his direction. There's a book called The Yaros Devash by Rabionis on Ivashitz. I don't know. I may, have a, I may have the original quote here somewhere. Who says, Hashem is our loving father and we are his children. But if we ignore his will, we allow the relationship to deteriorate. At first, transgressions are considered chata'im, which is unintentional errors. We started talking about this. We didn't go into it yet in depth. The difference between a chait and a pesha, right? We have here a chait and pesha. And therefore, the forgiveness is slicha, which is also like not as intense, because the sin is not as intense. But if the son fails to mend his ways, he gradually becomes defiant. He starts saying, well, who cares what you think? And who, right? It's not just like little bit of this or that. And then he's, what he's doing will be called pisha'im, willful sins. And then to move him towards repentance, Hashem will relate to him as Malkenu, a king, which is much more stern and not showing any special partiality, right? It's just fair. It's just judgment. And now the sinner has to ask for mechila, which the Yaroslav says is a much stronger, you have to ask harder, and it's harder to get it. And that's in order, because he's gone farther off the path. So then it's harder work to get back on. Okay. So this, sorry, okay. So we're talking about this kind of tshuva where, number one, tshuva helps us change our future. That's progress. That's a chiddush because tshuva is to help us change our past. I did something wrong. I regret what I did wrong. And I commit to doing it differently in the future. Now what happened in the past is no longer a part of the problem. It's a part of the solution. Right? We've talked about this before. So tshuva allows us to change our past and our future at the same time. So tshuva is supernatural. Tshuva is above time. Tshuva is like the highest level of the spiritual worlds. It's one of the highest spiritual forces, real tshuva. It's not easy to get to it. We all know how hard it is to actually do tshuva. It's really hard. It's a huge gift, but it's also very supernatural because it reaches into the past and it reaches into the future. That concept of progress as something, I read a book and it said you can't get where you're going unless you've been where you've been. <laughs> it kind of sums it up, right? You can't get where you're going unless you've been where you've been. You can't look back and say, if only my life had been different until now. What you have to do is say, there are things I did in the past that were wrong, but now I'm going to build from them. I'm going to learn something, and I'm going to go forward, and it's going to be different. Mm -hmm. Okay? 
So, Rav Sadia Gaon taught his students to examine their ways every day, <coughs> to do a chesh ben <coughs> even if they didn't think they had done any of theirs. They didn't notice anything. Every day, you make a chesh ben And Rav Sadia himself adopted this practice after an enlightening experience. Now, Rav Sadia Gaon, I don't know exactly when he lived, but the Gaonim are really, this is before the Rishonim. You're talking about something like, Years 700 to 900? Um, it's a really long time ago. Oh, okay. 600? Like, Rashi is around 1,000. or like right. at, This is before, way before that. Okay. So once Rav Sadia Gaon lodged with an innkeeper who was unaware of his illustrious guest's true identity, he put the Rav in a simple room and served him like he would serve any guest. When word got around that the leader of the generation was passing through town, all the townsfolk flocked to the inn in order to catch a glimpse of Rav Sadia. They heard, do you hear Rav Sadia going in town? Where is he staying? I don't know. He must be at the inn. So everyone's like sticking their heads in the windows and like standing on the tables. They want to see the Gadol Hador. And the innkeeper suddenly realized the greatness of his guest. And he approached the Rav with tears streaming down his cheeks. <clears throat> this predates any of the Hasidish stories like this, right? You know, there's all the Hasidish stories about the, the innkeepers having the Rebbe and they didn't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Rebbe, please forgive me. Forgive you? What did you do wrong? <laughs> you treated me fine, he said. You treated me fine. I came, I asked for a room, you gave me a room. I asked for a meal, you gave me a meal. Like, what did, you don't have to, for, there's nothing to forgive. Rebbe, I didn't know who you were. Believe me, had I known that the great Rav Gaon was staying under my roof, I would have treated you like royalty. When he heard these words, Rav Sadia himself burst into tears. From your words, he explained, I now understand the extent of our obligation toward our king, Hashem. Previously, I thought I was serving Hashem pretty well, but now I realize I'm really lacking. Just like your service to me would change, the better you know who my identity is, my service to Hashem should change the more I know about him. If only I had known that that's who I was serving with my mitzvos. If only I realized. Unbelievable. Right? That's what he took from me. He said, what do you mean? You didn't. Why are you you're asking forgiveness? There's, you wouldn't accept. He said, if I had known you were Rafsadia Gaon, do you think I would have put you in a regular room? I would, you think I would have served you the regular meal? Mm-hmm. Of course not. And Rafsadia Gaon says, that I, I may not think I'm sinning, but if I knew who I was talking to when I davened, if I knew who I was serving with my mitzvahs and my actions, if I had an awareness at all of Hashem, he had an awareness at all, right? If I, if I had a greater awareness of Hashem's presence and what that means to have the King of Kings present when I'm speaking, then my service would have been different too. With each passing day, I discover new levels of Hashem's kindness towards me. Every day we can be seeing Hashem's chesed. And I realize that whatever respect and service I offered God yesterday was woefully insufficient. For had I known then what I know now about God, I would have served him with even greater devotion and intensity. So life is indeed a constant cycle of rediscovery in which man sheds his relative ignorance in the past. It's an amazing story, yeah. So this idea of salach lanu avinu, meaning why three times a day, every day, 
do we have to do tshuva and ask for forgiveness? So Rav Sadia Gaon told his students, you have to do a cheshben on nefesh every day. They said, but Rebbe, what if we didn't do anything wrong? It's not a, it, that's not what it depends on. Every day there's new discovery and new insight. And that alone is enough to make us go back and evaluate our actions and say, what will we do differently going forward? Now that we know what we know, how will it be different? This, again, is the slicha as progress. Permission to progress. Chazal say, in the Gemara and Megillah, why does, why did Chazal put the bracha in Shemona Esrei for tshuva right after the bracha about bina, about insight and knowledge, right? First we had atachonein adam das umelame enosh bina. Hashem, thank you, you grant insight and knowledge to people. The next bracha is hashivenu avinu l'sorasacha, please help us do tshuva. And the third bracha is forgive us because we've said. So Chazal say, why is the bracha for tshuva right after the bracha for insight and knowledge? Because there's a verse in Yeshaya, a person's heart will understand, and then he will do tshuva and be healed. In other words, why does, why does tshuva follow insight? Because the more insight you have, the more you have the inspiration to do the tshuva. That's like that Rafsad you Gaon. The more I know, the more I realize there's room to improve. Then the next question the Gemara wants to know is, so how come the bracha for refua doesn't come immediately after the bracha for tshuva? It's two or three brachas down. It's because also in Yeshaya, there's a pasuk v'yashuv el Hashem when a person will return to Hashem v'yirachamehu. Hashem will have rachamim on him ve'el elokenu and he returns to God ki yarbe lisloach. That's this Hanun hamar be lisloach. Hashem will forgive. So what we learn from this is that now that we said tshuva follows bina, so the first thing that comes right after tshuva is the forgiveness, even before the healing. And this aligns up better with that Pasuk in Tehillim that we read before, from, that I read you the explanation of Rav Hirsch. Hasoleach lechol avonaichi, Hashem forgives all of your sins. Harofe lechol tachalu aichi, and heals all of your sickness. In other words, between where you have the, the tshuva and the healing, comes the forgiveness, that comes in between, which fits in very much with what Rav Hirsch said about Hashem saying, okay, you can come back and progress because healing would give you the strength to be able to do that. Okay, and after that comes Hagoel Mishachas Chayaychi, that Hashem redeems your soul from the depths and that in fact, the bracha that follows Slicha is Goel, Goel Yisrael, and only then the Rofe, okay which would suggest that refuah should come in between. They're trying to understand 
the Gemara is trying to understand why the Chachamim before them organized the order of the Shemona Esrei the way they did, and what psukim were they using that reflect the process that, the, that is mirrored in the Shemona Esrei. Because there's a kind of refuah that's for illness, and there's a kind of refuah that's for forgiveness. There's a refuas hanefesh and refuas haguf. We actually say this, right? When we ask Hashem to heal somebody, we say, Hashem, Yehi Ratzon Mofanecha, Hashem Elokei Velokei Avasai, Shetishlach Mehera Refua Shalema Mina Shemaim, Hashem, please send a Refua Shalema, Refuas Hanefesh, Refuas Haguf. We ask for healing for the soul and healing for the body. So he's saying over here, the Slicha that comes first is really more, the, or the Geula is the healing of the soul. And then you have Rufa'inu on the healing of the body. So it's not that the Rufua is pushed off as much as there's a process to that too. First is the healing of the soul, then is the healing of the body. Yeah. Actually, just reminding me. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Good to see you. Where is Abby's mother sitting, Shiva? At her house? I think for sure on Monday. I'm not sure about Sunday. Monday? I'll let you know. Yeah, she's in Phoenix right now. Oh, I see. Um, where is? So good to see everybody. Hi. So good to see you too. Take care. Thank you. Okay. Sorry, just looking for this page here. Okay. So this idea, ah, here it is. This idea of the refua for the soul before the refua for the body. So I saw something that I think is related to that in the Beni Shchai on Parsha Svayechi. The Beni Shchai says, And he's quoting, he's quoting from the verses of the bracha that Yaakov gave to Ephraim and Menashe, who are the sons of Yosef. And that's quite famous because we sing it, we, we write to the little children, and when they go to sleep, when we go to sleep at night, Hamalacha Goel Osimi Korah, may the Malach that saved me from anything bad, Yevarach Esanaaram, bring bracha to the children. And call them in, the name, in my name and the name of my forefathers, Avraham and Yitzchak, and may they flourish like fish, multiply like fish throughout the land. So the Ben Ishchai asks, what kind of bracha is the bracha that they should be called in the name of their forefathers? May they be called in the name of my, of my name and the name of my forefathers. He says, what is the meaning of this bracha? What makes it so important? So he says that the name of the forefathers hints to us the jobs, the the main focus jobs that every Jew has, Torah and mitzvot and simcha in their doing their service to Hashem. And he shows how each name, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, each one refers to one of those things, either doing Torah, learning Torah, <clears throat> doing mitzvahs or rejoicing in service of Hashem. Okay. And then he says, why did Yaakov say <coughs> first, excuse me, 
that they should be called after his own name and only after the names of his father and grandfather. He says, Vikari Bohem Shmi, let them be called in my name. Vishem Avosai Avraham Yitzchak, and the name of my father's Avraham and Yitzchak. Why did he put his name first and only Avraham and Yitzchak afterward? He said he had a special reason to do it this way. He said, because Yaakov's name is the name that hints to Torah. If Yaakov's name hints to Torah, then there's a reason he put his name first. There's a Gemara in Nadarim that says, why did we find a situation? How can it be that you have people who learn a lot of Torah and yet their children are not Talmidei Chachamim. How is it possible that a person could be a Talmud Chacham and have children who aren't? And this is, of course, one of the hard and difficult questions that we sometimes face. And the Gemara suggests one of the reasons is, She'ein mevarchem b'Torah Parents, when the parents didn't make brachas on learning Torah before they learned Torah. In other words... In order for a son to grow up to be a Talmud Chacham, hang on one second, I just want to. In order for a son to grow up to be a Talmud Chacham, first we have to give him a bracha that he should grow in Torah and Yerashamayim, that he should be a Chacham and a Tzaddik and do Maisim Tovim, and only afterward we should bless him with wealth and parnasa and plenty of food. Because, of course, imen kamachem, Torah. Without flour, there's no Torah. If the person is starving, they're not going to be able to concentrate and learn Torah. They're going to have to go look for food. So we want to bless them with all those things. But first, we bless them for Torah and mitzvahs and Yerushalayim. And only afterward for the, for the physical. And in this way, we see that the Torah is the main thing and the most beloved thing. And when, that, when, a, when a parent blesses his child in this way, where he first blesses him for the spiritual gifts and then blesses him for the physical gifts, what he shows his child is that his priorities are for the spiritual and that that's what he loves. And in that lesson, when it sinks in that way to a child, that that's what his father wants for him the most in that order, that's what gives the merit for the children to grow up to be Talmidei Chachamim. But if somebody doesn't bless their child first for Torah, then it kind of shows that his main desire for the child, like for the well-being, is the physical and the parnasa, God forbid. And if only afterward he sort of tacks on that they should also be Chachamim, Sort of like he calls it like the dessert, you know, like it would be the cherry on top if they would also be talking to him. Then, then the child gets the message that that would just be a cherry on top, but it's not really the main thing. And then the child does not necessarily grow up to be a Talmud. I mean, they have free will, right? But did they learn that lesson? He says, This is what we see the pattern in Shmona Esrei. In Shmona Esrei, we start with the brachas. When we get to the part where we're asking for blessing, we ask first for da'as, for knowledge and understanding. And then we ask for tshuva. And then we ask for forgiveness. 
Those are brachos about our avodas Hashem, about serving Hashem. Only after that do we say, please heal us, please barich aleinu Hashem okeinu, send us parnasa, plenty of food growing in the field. Of course we want those things, and of course we need those things. Amen kemach in Torah. Without the health, without the food, how can we serve Hashem? We do want those things. But all those things that are for the physical requests, they follow the spiritual requests. And blessed and fortunate is the person who first asks Hashem to bless him with spirituality. You see what he did is he learned from Yaakov how do you bless your children. And now he's saying even how you ask Hashem to bless yourself. The same thing. He says fortunate and happy is the person who asks Hashem first for blessings of spirituality before he asks for his physical needs. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu fulfills his requests. Because Hashem says, The one who puts me first, I will pay him first. In other words, if a person asks Hashem to help him to serve Hashem, mm-hmm. so he's asking something for himself, but he's also asking something for Hashem. It's kind of for God's sake. If you're asking Hashem to help you serve God, so it's not really selfish at all. There's no selfishness there at all. You're thinking of Hashem before yourself. Hashem says, somebody who thinks of me before himself, I'm for sure going to give him what he asks. For me and for him, both. And therefore, Yaakov first blessed the children with the name Yaakov that referred to Torah, and only afterward, and then the other fathers, and only afterward, he said, may they multiply like fish in the midst of the land. Of course, that was a blessing he wanted for them, but it was a matter of priorities, and that this is a a lesson in how we bless others and request blessing for ourselves. Okay, I think we'll we'll stop there for this week, and um, continue. Yeah, and this is a good lesson. We give our children brachos, right? That the brachos we give them, we should bless them in spiritual and physical, but in that order. That's better. That's better. That's better for them. It's better for us. We do that every Friday night. Yes. And uh, it's it's beautiful, really. Yeah. And we've had... I mean, if we just had to do it on our own, we couldn't do it. But we've had these great rabbis who have helped us change when we needed to change. Yeah. And we... That's, that that is the real... Do it earlier or later, just so we do it, you know? That's the real appreciation when you realize how how grateful you are to have had people who could guide you on the way yes. and could teach you on the way. Sometimes it takes a kind of maturity to appreciate that. Yes, right. Right? That's right. You have to want to change and be better and grow. If you do, then you really appreciate it that someone was there to help you yes. get out of the rut that you were in. And yeah. We have had them to help us. We've had so much help Yeah. in doing it. And finally, you know, when we recognize Hashem and he, we see him and how he's helping us. It's, you can see it in every little thing. Every little every thing. Every little thing that happens. That's what Rav Sadia Gaon said, right? Every day we have more experiences that we see Hashem's chesed. And if it looks like we're having a lot of 
Nisarium. We have it. We have to know that that that's what that's that that's why we're here because we have to learn how to handle. We have to learn how to handle. Those are our bumpers pushing us back toward the middle of the bowling alley. (laughs) We still have to try. Yeah. Thank you. Keep going. Thank you. It's so nice to have to have this, you know, individually. Thank you. Yeah. It was lovely. I guess we have to. I'll call her. Tell her. Yes. Thank you.